Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast today. We're going to be talking about grief. Now, grief is a very deep and wide field. There's so many different types of grief. And each experience you go through that may cause you to feel grief is going to take you down a different path. And so what we're going to be talking about today is a general overview of the different stages of grief that you go through. The specific overview of grief that we're going to be going through today is going to be Kubler-Ross. And this is just going to give you a good idea of different things that you can expect when you're going through grief and help you just feel validated that You're not the only person who's experiencing these difficult and unpleasant emotions, and this will help you to better understand the stages of grief and just know what to expect when you're wading through it. Now, the thing to understand about grief is that everybody experiences and expresses themselves differently when they're going through the different stages of grief. So one thing I want you to be careful about is don't compare what you're experiencing when you're going through grief to somebody else and think that somehow you might be doing it wrong or incorrectly. And in the same way, when you see other people grieving a certain way, be careful that you're not judging them and saying that they're not grieving in the right way. Because Tim's totally right. There is no correct way. Everybody grieves differently. Children will grieve differently than their parents. Spouses will grieve differently. So even though you may have lost the same person or the same thing, everyone experiences that in different ways. So just make sure that you really give room to the people around you as well as yourself, to grieve in whatever way you need to. Just in the same way that we're different people, and we might behave in different ways from our friends and family, we also may grieve in very different ways. So we're about to get into talking about the stages of grief. But before we get into it, we want to emphasize the idea that when you're grieving, it's not necessarily just the death of somebody. It can be any type of loss. And this was something that Ruth helped me to understand. We got into a little bit of a disagreement about something This was a while ago, a number of years ago, I think this happened, where uh, we weren't able to do something that she wanted to do. And I think she was really interested and intent on doing it. And she told me one time, she's like, I just have to grieve that we can't do that. And I got a little annoyed because I was like, I feel like you're being dramatic. You're talking about it like somebody has died. But then when we talked through it, she's like, no, it's, it's not that it has to be about somebody dying, but I'm still going through these stages of grief from not being able to do this thing that I was really hopeful that I was going to be able to do. So when we're talking through this, what we really want you to do is look at these different stages and see how they can apply to other things just outside of what we stereotypically think about grief as where someone passing away, but other things like that where it's like the end of an experience or the end of a phase of life that you're going through or the loss of freedom or respect or safety or anything along those lines can cause you to start going through these different stages of grief. We briefly talked about this when we did the episode on affairs, where when someone goes through an affair, they're grieving. They are grieving the loss of respect. They're grieving the loss of maybe the ideal marriage that they thought they would have or that they had. They're grieving the loss of trust. And when we think of other situations, maybe you were put in an unsafe situation You're grieving the loss of your safety. You're grieving the loss of maybe even trusting people around you. There's a lot of things that you can grieve. So just recognizing when people talk about grief, typically we do think of death. But in reality, it's any type of loss. 
So let's jump into the stages of grief. An easy way to remember the stages of grief is DABDA. And what that stands for is denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. When I explain the stages of grief, I explain them as grief waves because really they come and they go and sometimes it can feel overwhelming like a tsunami is hitting you and then maybe sometimes it's calm and out of nowhere you smell a smell or hear something that reminds you of what you've lost and then the waves just hit you hard again. And a very interesting thing is actually our sense of smell is one of the most powerful memory attachments that we have. And so it's something that I think can easily be overlooked, but you smell something that reminds you of this situation or this experience or this person, and it can bring you right back very strongly to that moment. And then you can all of a sudden feel overwhelming sensations of grief. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk through these different stages. So the first is denial, and I like to add shock onto that because really it's not always a state of true denial that we think of, like, no, this didn't happen. But it's just a sense of shock where you feel, oh my gosh, are you serious? Did this really happen? Or did I really lose this? Did he really cheat on me? And I think denial and shock, a lot of times it feels like, is this a dream? This didn't really happen. You wake up and you feel like, oh, I'm in a different universe than when I went to sleep. It's a very interesting experience because you really can feel like you're not participating in reality at that point. Yeah, it's almost like the world around you continues to move, but you're in slow motion. The next one is anger or frustration. And this can be anger at the person that passed away. It could be anger at the person that cheated on you. It could be anger at yourself for not having a better relationship with that person or reconciling with them. This could be anger at God. It could be anger at just a situation in general where you're just angry that you no longer have a dad. You're just angry that you no longer have whatever it is that you lost. And so when we look at what Tim just said about anger toward ourself or frustration at ourself, a lot of times that then leads into the next stage, which is bargaining. So bargaining when we're kids is exactly that. Well, if dad can come back, I will be the best student ever. Or maybe there's a divorce happening. Well, if you guys will stay together, I promise I will do everything right. I promise I won't fight with my siblings at all. But as adults, what bargaining tends to look like is more what ifs and if onlys. So what if they had found this cancer sooner? If only I had said goodbye one last time. If only I had called. If only I had answered that call when she called me. If only I recognized sooner what he was doing. So when we begin to turn the anger toward people or ourselves, that's where the bargaining comes in. And we have all these questions. I bet if I sat someone down they could list a ton of questions, a ton of what ifs, if only that they go through again and again and again in their mind. And this is actually a really hard place to stay at. We need to go through this stage, but this is a scary place to stay at because we can't change any of it. The next stage is depression and sadness. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be full-blown clinical depression where you can't get out of bed, but it can be just this general malaise where you're just going through life and you just feel this cloud is hovering over your head and you just can't experience the level of happiness that you used to experience. And this is a difficult phase, but this is really a phase where you're expressing the depth of the emotion. When you're feeling that anger, anger tends to be a little bit more of a masking emotion. But then when you're feeling that sadness, that depression, that's really the underlying emotion that you're actually feeling. 
And so as unpleasant as it may be to go through this phase, this is a very necessary part of the grieving process. Yeah, and I think that's the stage that people automatically think of when they think of grief. They think of sadness. And the final stage is acceptance. And this isn't acceptance that what happened was okay or that you have to be happy about it. It just is acceptance that it is. This is where we're at. This is what's happened. And when you hit that acceptance phase, it doesn't automatically mean that you're done going through the grief stages. I even think the name stages can be a little bit of a misnomer. It makes you feel like when you go from one to the next, you're never going to go back to the previous one. But a lot of times you'll actually bounce around from stage to stage. So, for example, you could be in shock and denial, like, no, I can't believe this happened, and then be totally sad and depressed, and then be angry, so mad that this happened, so mad at the person, so mad at the drunk driver, and then you can go to bargaining what ifs, and then go back up to shock, and then sadness again, and then you just can't believe that this happened, and then maybe you hit acceptance And you recognize, okay, this happened. How do I begin to heal? How do I begin to take steps? And then you're back up to being so angry and then bargaining again, then in shock. And so it just can continue to go like that. Just like waves, it'll hit you at times you least expect it. And I think sometimes in our Western society, we very much think of grieving short term where people are not usually prepared for the depth and intensity of grief as well as the longevity of it. In Western society, we think, well, it's been a year. Aren't you over this? It's been a year. It's time to get up and move on. And I was telling Tim before this that those can be such hurtful statements, the idea of moving on or getting over, because we never want to get over the person that died, right? We want to learn to really be able to find this balance where you can honor the person that passed away or what you've lost and continue to live a full and meaningful life. And I want to jump back to something that Ruth said just a minute ago where she talked about you can be surprised by how grief can come and hit you. In our next podcast we're going to be releasing, it's going to be an interview with somebody who's gone through a difficult experience with grief. And when we were talking to her, she was kind of surprised at how emotional that she got. And one of the things she said to us afterwards is, you know what, actually I was kind of coming down with something. And that was something that kind of intensified the emotions that I was experiencing when I was talking about it. Even though she had coped with and done a lot of work to help her manage the grief, that was something that brought down some of her emotional control when she was talking about the grief, where it's something she's been able to talk about in the past and not get emotional about it. But now because she was starting to feel a little bit ill, she all of a sudden had much stronger emotions as a result of that. So another thing that you need to know about grief is that it happens over time. So when we look at the course of a year, you're going to grieve in so many different ways and at so many different times. And some of the things that can really trigger it are dates. And so holidays, birth dates, your birth date, their birth date, maybe summertime, just in general, maybe you went to the river a lot and just the thought of going to the river and that time of summer and sun that's another grieving time. The anniversary of their death, maybe the anniversary of your marriage, the anniversary of meeting them, the anniversary of finding out that you had cancer, the anniversary of finding out they were in an accident, the anniversary of the death. There's so many different anniversaries that can pop up. And a lot of times people will say that 
they began to feel sad or they just had a really bad day and they didn't even know why. And then they looked at the calendar and recognized that it was a date of the death or it was a date of something special and significant that they just didn't even think about. You'll also grieve Father's Day and Mother's Day, maybe even Grandparents' Day, right? There's a lot of things that happen throughout the year that we don't even recognize until we're going through this process. I think being aware of that too can be very helpful. So instead of dreading those times, I think holding those times as sacred times to honor them, to think about them, to journal or meditate or pray about the situation can help you with those days. So instead of looking at it and dreading the fact that it might be a difficult time for you, looking at it as a time where this is a time where I'm specially thinking about this person and I'm going to take time to make sure that I am experiencing the fullness of grief. Now, experiencing those emotions definitely is not fun, but running away from those emotions does not do anything to help you cope with them or reduce the intensity of them. A lot of times people think, if I can just get away from these emotions for long enough, then I won't feel them anymore. Unfortunately, that's not really how emotions work. You may forget about them for a time, but then they will keep popping up and come after you, oftentimes with a vengeance, the longer you've been able to hold them at bay. So when we're going through this experience, when you're experiencing this grief, a part of the idea is to just embrace the difficult feeling. Do things that you can to actually draw out those emotions, not to try to avoid them. So talking about the person who died, a lot of times it's taboo in families to do that because people don't want to feel bad. But the truth is everybody's already feeling bad. We may as well talk about it, draw out those emotions, feel the fullness of that. And then what you have in psychology is what we call a cathartic effect. Even though in the moment it feels awful and unpleasant, after you've expressed that, maybe not that day, but the next day or a day after or two days after, you might start feeling all of a sudden much more pleasant. And a part of that is because you have released all of this emotion. You're not holding it in anymore. And that's definitely not to say that once you have that cathartic experience, you're never going to have those feelings again. But at least for a time, you have drawn them down to a point where they're no longer weighing you down. They may build up again, but then you can go ahead and do another cathartic release. And I would agree with that, that you need to make sure that you begin to really pay attention to what you're going through. And that may mean changing the traditions that happen around those times. And at times that may upset family because maybe it's a holiday that you typically get together with the entire family. Maybe you just kind of recognize that this year I need to spend time with just my immediate family. And that's okay. That's okay to begin to make new traditions or just for a season recognize that right now I need this space alone to journal or to read or just to sit and be. So another thing is to look at it over the course of a lifetime. That grief isn't just like we talked about, you grieve in a year and you're done. That is not how it happens. Even with the stages of grief, I wish that it was denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, you're done. Things are good. But like we were saying, you jump around consistently. But really, it's over a lifetime. So for example, if a girl lost her father at a young age, she's going to grieve over her lifetime. So she's going to grieve when she gets an award at school and dad's not there. She's going to grieve when she needs to get her driver's license. Again, when she graduates, when she gets married and she thinks about who's going to walk me down the aisle. Then when she has children, there's a lot of big milestones, but 
it's not even just the milestones. It's the daily activities where you wish you had someone to call. So what I like to tell my clients is that going forward, you have to recognize that almost every joyous moment, you have to also make room for grief because in those joyous moments, you're missing someone. You're missing something where you wish, oh man, I wish they could experience it with me or I wish that I could tell them about it. Or you run home to call them and you recognize that they're not there. So just recognizing that it's not a one-year thing. It's not a two-year thing, but it really is a lifelong thing. And grief changes you. So another example of this is you're going to grieve in stages where if somebody was diagnosed with cancer, you're not only going to grieve when they died, you're also going to have grief along the way, right? So you're going to grieve when they were diagnosed with it. You're going to grieve when you see them going through the chemo. You're going to go through the grief stages when you see them getting sicker. And then when they pass, you're going to also grieve. And so we have to know that these come in stages where it's not this one time grieving and you're done, but it really is a process that we continue to go through. Something also that I have experienced that people oftentimes will tell me they feel silly for grieving something like this, but the death of a pet. And this is something that I don't think you should downplay or you should feel silly about. A lot of times our relationships with our animals can be much less complicated than our relationships with people. And so sometimes we can even emotionally bond more closely to animals than we do with people because we have just this pure, nothing but good, unadulterated relationship with this animal. And then it passes away. It can be very difficult. I remember for me, this was my first experience with grief. As a matter of fact, it was very powerful. It was a Our childhood dog had cancer and we had to have her put down. And this was the first time I'd actually seen my dad cry. I'd never seen him cry. And I'm in my young 20s and we're sitting there in the vet's office and they're putting the dog down and he's crying. I'm crying. And it was a difficult experience, especially since this was one of my first experiences with a major grief event. And in order to help me manage those emotions, I created a collage of photos of my dog and that helped me to experience the brunt of emotions. It wasn't fun making the collage. It made me cry a ton when I was doing that. It was very unpleasant. But then at the end, I was able to have that cathartic experience, that emotional release. And still there was difficult emotions I still had to deal with after that. But instead of running away from it, I ran towards the emotions and just embraced that experience. The other experience with death that I had was a number of years later when my grandfather passed away. And he was in really bad shape. He was in hospice care for a number of months and he wasn't doing well and it really seemed like he was going to pass away. And through that whole process, me and my entire family, we were grieving together. We were talking to him. We were crying. He was kind of in and out of consciousness a lot. And even though he was still there, we understood that he was likely to pass away. The thing I was really grateful for for my family was they didn't have that taboo about talking about him dying or that taboo after he died about talking about it. They embraced it and we talked frequently about it and we cried a lot about it and it was difficult, but it really helped us to not build up this reservoir of unmanageable emotions because like a balloon, we're constantly letting out the air that's inside so so that it doesn't build up too much and become unmanageable. So that's a really great example of doing something to really help and assist in the grieving and healing process. So let me give you examples of when I talk about loss and how it's not just the death of a person. I know we've used the example of death a lot today, but 
really grieving is the loss of anything. And I can almost plug in anything into this grief model. And it's not at all to minimize the magnitude that we feel with a loss through death, but it's also to recognize that we feel losses throughout our lives in so many different ways. So let me give you two examples of the grief stages. If I left my phone in the car when I'm doing a session, say I need to charge it, I have a great charger in my car. Say I left my phone in the car, I do my session with my client, and I come back out and I see that my car is broken in two. I'm going to go through these stages of grief, right? I'm going to look at the car and I'm going to be maybe not in denial, but I'm going to be shocked. Like, what? Are you serious? And then anger and frustration. Maybe I'm angry at the security guard. I'm obviously angry at the person that did it. I can even be angry at myself for leaving my phone in the car, for not backing my phone up, right? So then that goes into bargaining. What if I had backed my phone up? What if I had locked my car? What if I had taken my phone in with me? What if I remembered to charge it last night? If only this and that, right? And then maybe I won't be depressed about it, but I'll be sad. I'll be sad about mostly the pictures on there, but I'll be really sad about the things that I've lost. And when we look at that, it's a loss of safety. It's a loss of security. It's a loss of feeling maybe like that area in general is somewhere I want to return to. And then I'll be sad about it. I'll be sad that I lost so many pictures. I'll be sad that I lost my phone. But then eventually I'm going to hit acceptance and I will go and get a new phone. Maybe I'll look on social media and see if there's pictures that I lost that I can now download, right? But even in something as small as an iPhone, I would go through these stages of grief because it wasn't just the iPhone. It was the safety that I lost, the security, my phone, my pictures. I'm going to lose time and having to go and do all that stuff again and look for the pictures again. So there's a lot there. So the next example I want to give is just the loss of a concept, right? So the loss of freedom. If I told a teenager, you can't go to the movies, they're going to go through the stages of grief as well. They're going to be denial and shock. What, mom? Are you serious? No, you you have to let me go. Everyone else's parents are letting them go. And then they're angry and frustrated at you, right? Oh, I can't believe you're doing this, mom. And then they bargain. What if I come home at nine? What if I clean my room? What if you come and you sit in the very back row and don't even talk to me, but you can be there, right? And so they're going to bargain their way through this. And then they'll be sad when your no stands. They're going to be sad about it. And then hopefully they get to the point where they accept it, right? And they say, oh, my mom said I can't go. So that's just a simple no of you can't go to the movies. And like I said, I can plug almost any loss into this. So even something as small as, oh, I want to go to lunch with my friend and tell her about something that's happening. She says, no, I'm going to go through the stages, just an abbreviated version of it, right? I'm going to be shocked and I'm going to say, are you serious? No, I really had something to tell you. Then I might not be angry, but I'm going to be frustrated. Like, oh, man, I really wanted to tell her something. And then I'll bargain. What if we go at this time instead? What if I come to you? What if I pick up lunch and then bring it to you and we just sit outside and I'm going to bargain in that way? And then I'll be sad about not being able to tell her and not being able to see her. And then eventually I'll hit acceptance and we'll figure out another time. So I know those examples may seem a little silly or may feel like they're not really big examples, but that's why I wanted to share them with you. Because when we were talking about it earlier, where Tim and I got into an argument and I said, just give me time to grieve. Really, you can fit any loss into these grief stages or grief waves. I hope that gave you some understanding of what grieving can look like. And like he said in the beginning, 
there are so many different models of grief. This is such a big, big area where we can break down into losing a parent, losing a child, prolonged loss, sudden loss where you weren't expecting it. But this is just the basics that we want to share with you guys today. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. In our next podcast, we are going to be doing an interview with somebody who experienced a deep level of grief, and she's going to be giving you a little bit of an insider view of her experience going through this, things that were helpful and then things that were not helpful to her. All right, guys, we'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have a question or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know. Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.